Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Welcome to episode number 272 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about rating distortion syndrome, which is epidemic in tennis and something that you need to be aware of and you need to know the the symptoms, the causes, and the cure, the treatment for this problem or else it really could keep you from from reaching the next level in your game. And it's something that honestly is pretty universal uh, among tennis players. Only a a very small select minority of tennis players uh, have actually done what it takes to avoid this. We're going to talk about exactly what that is. So this is a really subtle problem and 99% of tennis players are completely unaware of it. So if you're listening to me right now, please count yourself blessed because the vast, vast majority of your peers have no idea that this is going on. And as I said a second ago, we'll talk about the symptoms, the causes, the treatment, but uh, really, I feel like I'm in a unique position to discuss this and, and talk about it because, because of two things. Number one, I've spent tens of thousands of hours on the court coaching, just regular, everyday, amateur tennis players, whatever you want to call them, club-level players, regular tennis players, which, quite frankly, I count myself as one of them. I mean, I may be towards the upper end of that. Uh, description, but I've never got anywhere close to the, the skill level to play professionally, even very entry level, you know, professional competition. So I'm not talking down to anybody. I count myself in that uh, in that category as well. But I've spent lots and lots of time, uh, tens of thousands of hours, coaching and teaching amateur tennis players, and now I've also spent tens of thousands of hours creating and studying video content. And you'll see how those things overlap in just a second. So first, let's talk about the symptoms of rating distortion syndrome and see if you are, if you can relate to any of these things. So I first started noticing the symptoms many years ago, and really when I first started coaching and teaching, but I really only recently have put all the pieces together and understand how broad of a problem it is, how kind of core of an issue this is, and how systemic uh, of, uh, of an issue this is as well. I mean, it's really pretty universal among tennis players. So the, the first signs of this that I started kind of paying attention to were the kind of cliche descriptions that people would give me about the people that they would have problems with. And you've heard, if you've been listening to the podcast or watching our videos for a while, then you're very familiar with what I'm about to talk about. Uh, frequently hear from players writing in with kind of their problem or or frustration opponent saying, Ian, I keep losing to this player who's worse than me. And whatever the categorization, generally this relates to pushers, but those things aren't mutually inclusive. It's not 100% overlap, but frequently that would be the the issue. Uh, But just general, just the general uh, concept of people coming to me and saying, Ian, I keep losing this person again and again. And they're so much worse than me. They just don't have the skills I do. They're not even close to as good of a player as I am, but I keep losing to them. And that should sound funny to you. That should sound like a bit of a paradox to you. And yet you've probably heard it uh, if you've been around tennis for any length of time. Uh, Another symptom is 
on a, on a kind of a more micro individual level, a player being depressed or really down or really frustrated about losing to X opponents. Keep losing the worst players is kind of a more gener- generic or general complaint. But I've, I've received a lot of questions over the years from players who had, a, had an individual experience of losing to Sally or Joe or whoever, who they perceived to be way below their personal level of play. And the thought of losing to this player never even entered their mind. And yet they lost to the, whether it was a definitive loss or a close one, it doesn't matter. It just absolutely crushed them because they could not understand how it would be physically possible ever that they could possibly lose to that player. And now, uh, finally, this, what really triggered me talking about this today was over the weekend, I'm recording this on a Monday morning, over the weekend I was going through some YouTube videos and uh, just kind of browsing you know, just random uh, videos and one that came up on my suggested feed was two players playing each other in, in set play. And it was, the title said something along the lines of 4.5 singles match play highlights. It was like a 10 or 15 minute video two, four or five players playing against each other and showing some highlights of some of their, their better points. And if you've sp- spent much time around the internet watching tennis content of amateur players and you've looked at the comments, and you probably know where I'm going with this, a large percentage of the comments were dedicated to a general sentiment of four or five. These, these guys aren't even close to four or five, or I'm a four or five. These guys are way worse than I am. Or uh, some other comments were some, something along the lines of, wow, that guy's super slow, or his, his serve is super weak. There's no way they're four or five uh, players. Uh, one my favorite comments, I think, on this particular video uh, was just three characters long, just simply 4.0 <laughs> in the comments. Like the most passive-aggressive, uh, com- well, not even really passive, I guess that's actively uh, aggressive. Just just simply stating, no, you are not 4.5, you're 4.0. And uh, in some of our content, typically, uh, or rather the most common places where I've seen these kind of comments are on our return of serve tutorials where we're demonstrating a specific technique or footwork or uh, execution and the person who's serving just does not live up to the standards of the viewer. And so people feel so strongly about this that they take the time to comment and say, how about show us against a real serve? Or man, this serve is so slow, anybody could return that serve kind of thing. So these are the symptoms. Symptoms are basically thoughts, feelings, experiences, communications, where there's there's kind of they're kind of pointing out or pointing to a disconnect or a uh, not compromise, but a, a difference in level than what that person thinks is actually happening, is real or reality. And what I'm talking about is, I'm just going to keep going. Those are some of the symptoms. Uh, It's important. Uh, Chances are, if you're listening to this, that you probably haven't personally engaged in any of those things, but it's possible, uh, to be honest. I'm not sure what the percentage of uh, those listening right now are going to say, oh, wow, yeah, that's me. Probably not a ton, but even if not, please listen on because this is super important. So what causes this? What causes this this 
difference between perception or what somebody views and what they think uh, level is relative to tennis players? Well, I think there's two main causes. Number one is professional tennis player media. When we turn on tennis on TV, we really only have the opportunity to watch the most elite, most ridiculously talented players in the world, which right now, I would personally say, the, I mean, the, the era of tennis we're in right now is the strongest ever, like not, not even close. We've got the, the best athletes, uh, the best training, the best equipment, uh, the, me- the best uh, methods of developing skill and talent and shot making. And so we're just inundated by these moving images of the, the most talented, skilled, elite tennis players in the history of the sport right now. And we tend to fixate on the most incredible shots, you know, the, the, the highlights. And we, we don't really focus on the swing and miss shots. I mean, Federer in the, the Laver Cup crossed on a floating high forehand volley, swung and missed. Nobody fixates on that. We fixate on the unbelievable, you know, needle threading of a shot for a passing shot on down match point uh, to, to, and then come back and win, etc. It's just human nature. We just focus on those kind of um, exciting, incredible uh, shots. So we have those pictures in our mind. And what's important to realize is, you know, people say the camera adds 10 pounds or, or whatever it is. I can tell you from personal experience that the camera also takes away about 20 miles per hour <laughs> from what it feels like in person. In fact, if you've ever watched in person Federer hitting or Nadal hitting or Djokovic at full speed, and I, and I don't mean Arthur Ashe Stadium, like way up in the nosebleed section. I mean at court level, on the same level as the players, and in particular, right down bo- uh, behind the baseline so that you can your eyes can see the ball traveling back and forth while also watching the players and what they're doing. If you've ever experienced that, which is a minority of tennis players, a small minority of tennis players, then you'll know that it feels completely different in person than it does watching on TV. And I've experienced this personally by recording myself and posting it on YouTube. Uh, This is not one of our more viewed videos, but if you go to uh, YouTube and do a search for, uh, I think the title of the video is Ian Plays Singles Points or you do a search for essential tennis, Ian plays or singles points, you'll see some, some point play of me, which not very many people I think are aware that that's ever been posted. Uh, people request all the time that we play, that we post some videos of us playing. And that was one of the first times that I actually saw myself playing points. This was seven or eight years ago, quite a while ago now. And I experienced the same thing. There was a disconnect for me. The, the speed of my racket head moving slower than what it feels like in person, speed of my shots slower in person, and even like big strengths of mine, like my movement, uh, movement, anticipation, foot speed, huge strength of mine looked, you know, pretty good, but not what it feels like in person. And so it's important to realize that there's a Grand Canyon-sized gap between most of our internal experience and what we feel and sense when we're on the courts and reality. Now, the, generally speaking, the only third person experience that we have, meaning spectator, is of other players, our peers, 
whom generally we view and kind of look down upon how they move and their swing technique, how pretty their strokes are, or professional players. <laughs> and, and the only, only like the most elite, talented, incredible professional players. And so there's a huge gap, obviously, between those two things. And that disconnect uh, results in a kind of, it results in a problem, quite frankly, for tennis players. It results in a gap in perception where we assume that we don't look like our peers, we look more like the pros. And that sounds ridiculous to say it out loud, but and that's kind of a more macro scale, like big picture, but on a micro scale, it happens constantly and we're not aware of it. Kevin and I, are one of our new pros here in the office, this past Friday, we were going through some VIP one-on-one coaching footage of one of our students. And uh, we were watching me work with a student on his serve. And this student's serve started off really, really rough. I mean, the classic, stereotypical, just kind of all over the all over the place, like rhythm and uh, swing path and technique. Everything was kind of blown up and back and forth and herky-jerky. And quite frankly, it was a, it was a big project, a very challenging stroke to, to work on and to, uh, to try to change. And so I, it was, this was from months and months ago, so I didn't even really remember the process that I worked the student through. So I watched uh, because I was kind of like viewing it for the first time and started very slow. If you've watched any of our one-on-one coaching, slow shadow swings, becoming familiar with new positions, new directions to move the body, new directions to move the racket. And step-by-step, very methodically, for a solid half an hour, we moved this player through moving across a completely new type of swing. Completely different than what he was used to doing. I mean, hardly any part of it was the same during these shadow swings. No ball involved on purpose so that this, po- this person could really focus on the new movements that we were trying to, te- to teach them. So a solid 30, 40 minutes later, I gave this player a ball with full warning and said, listen, you're probably going to go back to your old swing, really just focus on executing that new technique that we've been working on the last 30, 40 minutes. Doesn't matter if you even hit the ball, much less where it goes. We just want to try to execute that new um, swing technique that we've been working on. And so the player put the toss in the air and everything instantly snapped back to the old swing, which he hadn't done in a solid 30, 40 minutes, went right back to it. Hardly anything that we worked on uh, stuck. And I asked him, so how, do you, how was it? How, how do you think you did? And his resp- response was basically, oh, yeah, I think that was, that was pretty good. That, that, that felt like I, I basically got it. And so I showed him the video and he was shocked. I mean, absolutely floored that everything that we talked about in his original analysis as far as problems that we need to overcome, had immediately come back. Now, this is uh, admittedly a little bit more of a, you know extreme situation, but having spent the last year inviting players here to Milwaukee and working with us and trying to make technical changes, I can tell you that this is not an exception. The, the um, degree to which this particular kind of snapback happened was, was pretty large, but this gap between what's actually happening and what we experience to be happening is very real. And it's every player on probably every stroke, unless he or she has actually seen themselves before. 
So this combination of what our eyes take in most, which is generally the most elite players, and the lack of personal awareness of what we're actually doing is what results in rating distortion syndrome. Those are the two biggest causes. The combination of those two things, the assumption of what we think we must look like, and what's actually happening is a gigantic disconnect for most of us. So those are the symptoms. Those are the causes. I'm sure you can probably deduce what the treatment is. The treatment is go record yourself today. Do it today. This is a huge, huge um, obstacle in your way to achieving your goals. Because the reality is, how motivated are you really going to be to make a substantial change to your technique unless you actually know what you're really doing right now? And you can assume all you want. And you can say, oh, I've been playing tennis 20, 30, 50 years. I know exactly what I'm doing. But I can tell you from my own personal experience and my experience with countless students doing video and showing them themselves for the first time and hearing their response, I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that unless you've seen yourself on video, you do not know. You do not know the truth. Maybe you know if you're really, you know, in reality, kinesthetically aware and you have good self-awareness of how your body is moving. Maybe you know better than most players. And I would say better than most players would be 60% or 70% or maybe 80% awareness. Like, oh yeah, is the, the gist like is there. It's pretty much it. But I'm surprised I'm doing this thing or, or this little uh, element. It's not quite where I thought it was going to be. But there's zero chance that you have 100% awareness. Zero chance. Uh, on the low end of the spectrum, you may only have 10% or 20% overlap with reality and what you think you're doing. I, I've, I've seen that many times. So the only treatment here, the only cure for rating distortion syndrome is to record yourself. If, if those YouTube commenters would record themselves and watch themselves move, watch themselves swing, watch their resulting serve, uh, the speed that it looks like on video, they would never leave those comments. I'm 100% uh, convinced of that because of my experience with players on the courts in real life using video for the first time. So you need to ask yourself, do you want to know reality? Or are you happy with what you're doing now? If you're totally happy, totally content with what you're doing now, then by all means, there's no need to rock the boat. There's no need to totally blow up the image that's in your head. But if you're still listening to me, I know that you probably don't fall into that category. If you're still listening, then you want to improve badly. And there's few things that are more important than knowing the reality of your game, what you're actually doing. How in the world are you supposed to make changes to your, quote, muscle memory, to your habits? How in the world can you make changes to your habits if you don't even know what you're doing now. It's just a guess at that point. And it might feel different, but the actual change is much smaller than what you think it is. And the end result is much less like what we're used to watching on TV than what you actually think it is. So listen, 
I 100% empathize. I'm not saying this should be easy. Uh, I'm not saying I'm not you know uh, saying you're a bad person or a bad tennis player if you've never done this. It's intimidating. It's it's really taking a step out there, and um, I, I totally get that. 100% empathize. Uh, but so I'm here to hopefully th- this is inspiring to you and hopefully this motivates you uh, instead of the opposite. Know that once you are aware of the the reality, it'll totally change things for you and in a good way. Maybe in the short term, you'll be disappointed at what you see, but in the long run, you'll have so much more potential for improvement, aka change, because you'll know what you're actually doing. Hope this is helpful to you. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and just tell somebody about this podcast. It could be a teammate, could be somebody at your club, fellow member, could be a coach, uh, could be a student. If, uh, if you're a coach yourself, and uh, if uh, the podcast has been helpful to you over the last couple episodes, do me a favor and leave a review and rating on the iTunes Music Store. For more free game-improving instruction, be sure to check out EssentialTennis.com, where you'll find hundreds of video, audio, and written lessons. Also, be sure to subscribe to Essential Tennis on iTunes and YouTube, where we are the number one resource in the world, providing passionate instruction for passionate tennis players. Thank you so much for listening today. Take care, and good luck with your tennis.